0: Well, Welcome to LifePoint today. Thank you so much for being here to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. My grandfather uh, was a preacher at one little country church for 52 years. And unfortunately, I didn't listen to a lot of what he said as a kid. But one thing I do remember it was on Easter Sunday at our little country church, uh, it was packed every year. And I can remember he had this routine he would go through every year. He would say, hey, good morning, and I want to wish some of you a Merry Christmas because I probably won't see you again until next Easter. Nervous laughter always. (laughs) Whether this is the one time a year you come to church or you just come a couple times a year or if this is a regular thing in your life, God is pleased and praised because you are here to celebrate the resurrection, however often you do that. Because the resurrection, what it says to us is that we can have second chances. It says to us that we can start over no matter what we've done. You know, my title here is lead pastor, but really my title should be lead mistake maker because I make mistakes. They're not on purpose. I don't plan to make mistakes. We don't have a meeting as a staff and pull out the whiteboard and say, okay, here are the mistakes we're gonna really shoot for this year. We don't do that. You, you folks that are in high school or in college or just starting out in your career, you, you don't get up in the morning and say, what mistake can I make today? How can I blow it? How can I mess up things in my life? I've probably done, I don't know, 50 or so or 100 mistakes Wedding ceremonies over the years. And I always talk to the bride and groom, and never have they said to me, Donnie, we're gonna mess this thing up. (laughs) Our plan is we're gonna make mistakes. None of us plan to make mistakes, but oftentimes in life, we find ourselves in a place where we feel like, When am I gonna stop messing up? When am I gonna stop making mistakes? Well, if that's you, I'm going to share a story from Scripture about a guy that you can probably relate to. His name is Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' inner circle of disciples. He was one of the fishermen that Jesus called and said, come and follow me, and he left everything, and he followed Jesus. Peter had a very unique personality. He was the kind of person that uh, you may know somebody like this. You might be married to them, that they start talking before their brain starts thinking ever been around any you don't have to raise your hand that's a whole different series we'll go through about that but we all know somebody or we might be that kind of person that we're impulsive and we speak before we think I tend to speak before I think there are times on Sunday afternoon I drive home thinking I don't know if I would ever go back to my church again after I cannot believe I said that it just came out I wasn't thinking I didn't know what I was saying. So we're going to look at a section of Scripture where Peter speaks up first, where he ends up doing something he thought he would never do. It's recorded in the New Testament book of Mark. One of the books in the New Testament tells the story of Jesus' life and ministry and his death and his burial and his resurrection. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, you can just raise your hand. The ushers will give you one of those. It's yours to keep. You can have it. If you just want to borrow it, you can do that as well. You can also read along on the screen as I read from this story today. We're going to pick up the story when Jesus is sitting around a dinner table having a meal, a, 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 a a festival kind of meal with his disciples, and he starts to tell them some things. He starts to make some predictions. And he starts to tell them what's going to happen. He says, one of you are going to betray me. Then he says, I'm going to be crucified. Then he says, it's all going to be over. And then he says, all of you are going to scatter. You're going to leave me. You're going to be like sheep. You're going to run and you're going to get away from me. They're really confused by this. Guess who speaks up first? It's Peter. And he speaks up and says this. Even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. Now, Peter felt like he was stronger than the rest of them. So he said, all these other jokers might mess up but I won't do it. I never will. There's no way. It's not going to happen. And Peter's, and Jesus says to him, in a sense, oh yeah, it's going to happen. You, you think you're strong, but you're not. You think you can do this, but you can't. And he says, I never will. Have you ever said those words? I'll never do that. I'll never lie to you. I'll never betray you. I'll never hurt you. I'll never go back and do that again. I'll never find myself in that situation. I'll never hurt you. But then circumstances line up in such a way and line up in a way that you never thought they would and your intention to do the right thing is overruled by your fear, your weakness, and your desire And you find yourself doing that which you said you would never do. So, we're a lot like Peter. Our intentions might be, I never will, but then somehow circumstances line up in a way we never knew, and then we end up doing that which we said we would never do. So, almost immediately after this conversation Jesus has with Peter, Jesus gets arrested, Jesus gets led away by soldiers. And Peter hangs back, he kind of follows and and watches what's going on, not close enough to where they might discover who he is, but just close enough to watch. And in verse 54 of that same chapter, it says this, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. There he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Now, as he's warming himself, this servant girl comes up and says, I know you. Because Jesus had just—he had just been ushered into Jerusalem. All the big stuff happened, you know, the Palm Sunday thing, all that's happened. He's attracted everybody's attention, and his followers, you know, they're like, "Hey, we're part of this guy's entourage." We're Jesus, you know. They're proudly letting people know they're with Jesus. And now, Jesus got arrested, and they're saying, "You were with him." And Peter said, I, "No, uh-uh, not me. You've mistaken me for somebody else. It's not me." And then a rooster crows. And then this other girl comes up to him and said, I know you. You are one of his followers. No, I'm not. And then other people come around and say, look, you are from the same area Jesus came from, so you are one of them. And he curses and he said, I don't know this man. And then the rooster crowed again. And I never will turns into, I can't believe I did. And it says that Jesus, or that Peter went away and wept. And he would have remembered that commitment that he made to Jesus. I never will. It's not going to happen. And he would have felt like a failure as he watched Jesus falsely accused, convicted, and murdered. How must he have felt when he was the one that, with boldness, stood up and said, "I'll never leave you"? It means I have to die. And the first time it got scary, and the first time things, he felt some pressure. He did, and he denied Christ. And to him, it was over. It was finished. I mean, how could you go on after that? He thinks it's all his fault. It's done. You may look at some parts of your life and think, I wrecked it. It's messed up. It's over. I've gone too far. I've said too much. But it is in our worst moments as we find out, because we know the end of this story. It's in our worst moments that we're most primed for a big comeback. Don't you love it, when you're watching a, a, some kind of a, a sporting event and one team is losing and the other team in the last few seconds or last few minutes, they just pull it out and somehow they score and they win. Of course, if that's your team, you would love that. You're watch, probably watching basketball and you're thinking, oh, if my team's behind, well, maybe. Maybe in the last seconds they can just throw one down the court Maybe they can just throw a pass, maybe they can just get a touchdown, maybe they can just score, maybe they can kick it further, something, and they win in the last minute. Everybody loves those comebacks and the big, the the real of them that they play every year, the last second comebacks. I love to watch those, because just like that, things turn. It looks like it's going to go one way, and then it turns and goes a different way. In 1975, the Dallas Cowboys were playing the Minnesota Vikings in a playoff game and like happens a lot, Dallas was losing. They were, <laughs> they, were be- sorry. they were behind, and the quarterback at the time was Roger Staubach, and he called a play in the last minutes of the game, and he just threw what they then called an alley-oop pass, and he just threw it, and they jumped up for it. His receiver caught it, made a touchdown. Dallas wins the game. Later, the quarterback, Roger Staubach is being interviewed, and they said, what were you thinking? What was that play? And he said, well, it really wasn't a play at all. He said, I just said a Hail Mary, and I threw it. And from then on, that pass, that last-minute effort, that last-minute jolt of energy to try to win is called a Hail Mary. Some of us need a Hail Mary in our life. You think it's over. You think it's the last minute. You think things aren't gonna go well for you. You need to understand God has bigger plans for you. And as we'll see, we tend to see our failures, but God looks and sees our future. There's a guy at our church named Kenny. And I've gotten to know Kenny over the last several months. And, and Kenny has had a tough life. He's made some really bad decisions. On his own, he did some stuff he shouldn't have done, and he got himself in a mess. And he dealt with loneliness and depression and made a lot of mistakes. But Kenny is primed for a comeback. And you're going to see right now on video, he's going to tell his story. And he tells it in a really real way. In a way that might sound shocking to some of you. But he tells it from the perspective of a man who thought it was all over, that life had gone too far, that he had failed too much, And he would never have a comeback. So take a look at Kenny's story.
1: You know, there's been situations where somebody will tell, how many times have you been arrested? And I know it's more than 23. And how many crimes have I committed? I, I have no idea. Days of my life, I can probably commit 40, 50 arrestable crimes in the same day. And I did this for many, 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 many years. i lost track. Basically, it was like organized crime. Well, we were abandoned by our dad, and there wasn't a mother involved. And we had our own escapes. Like, my younger brother was very violent. I smiled a lot, always smiled. And that, I learned later, was my defense mechanism to protect myself, that I'm happy. I'm always happy. I heard many times that you are the nicest drug dealer I ever met and it was terrible at first to hear it I was more like a badge of honor and I was like all right nicest drug dealer even a cop said that to me you know it's it was weird being a good guy that people would say to my face is not how I didn't see the evidence of if I was this good guy how come I'm alone how come people don't seem to want to hold on to me unless they were calling me because they needed something. And then I met Tracy, and she was the opposite of every single person I've ever associated with, and that drew me to her because it gave me hope that whoever this person is, and somehow she likes me, and she doesn't do drugs. So this is exotic to me. And I saw that there was hope for myself, and I realized that The more people said how much they disliked her, the more I liked her because that means there was a chance of me to get pulled away from the life I was living. I thought that would be forever; it would go that way, but it didn't because you know I was just used to a certain lifestyle with her, and then things changed with her, you know, and then I just said, you know, it's we need to divorce. Um, I got to a point after my divorce that. I wanted to, uh, like, every day I would wait. Is today, tomorrow the day that things are gonna pick up? And I started, you know, saying, you know what, this isn't gonna happen. So I was, you know, planning and checking out type of thing. So I went in the, I got a 38 and put the bullet in it. I went in the bathroom and I put the gun in my mouth. And then I saw myself at that instant in the mirror And I thought that was so disturbing. What the heck am I doing? I have a gun in my mouth. I had the hammer back, and just a you know four-hundredth of a second, it could have been gone. And I got sick. I put it down, and you know, it could have been God looking out, saying, "Hey, wake up. It's you're not done yet. It's not that hopeless." Thanksgiving a year and a half ago, I was driving to see a girl, I was in, a married woman that I was interested in in New York. I remembered, and after Tracy and I got divorced, we never really spoke, maybe once or twice, and I was compelled to call her. Then she told me, it was kind of a surprise, but not too much. She told me, she, oh, hey, how are you? We had coffee, and uh, oh yeah, I'm a Christian now. So she started talking to me about Christ, and I learned that all of my ways of I'm gonna have that joy in my life to the end, I've failed miserably. So I thought it would be a good idea because she's a Christian and I'm open to it that we should still be able to have sex because I'm a good guy. And she was like, which was foreign to me because that was a strong part of our relationship. And then when she said no, closed for business, I was, hmm, what's that about? And plus I was at a a bad spot also. It wasn't, you know, only that. And I was feeling really, really lost. I went to the Christian church a few times and it was so foreign to me that, but something made me keep coming back. And I wanted that, but I also wanted her up in North Carolina. I decided to get baptized because something was still missing for me. I wasn't quite where I needed to be. The enemy or the devil, Satan, whoever you want to call him, is always there, always there with open arms, but you don't have to seek him. He's always there calling you. And I see the temptation, but I don't act on it now, but I'm aware of it more than when I didn't have Christ. I, Kenny, promise you, Tracy, to be your faithful partner, best friend, and one true love. I promise. I used to think of marriage as it's only as good as until it's not good. That's when you know we got divorced. And I've had previous relationships. That's not good anymore. It's done with. This is mine, and I'm hers. She's mine. And that's that. It's not open for discussion. It's the way it is. Bottom line is live this way, and it's not a complicated way to live. I realized I complicated the heck out of my life. All these other shortcuts, jump overs, you know, deception was gonna lead me to joy and happiness. Failed miserably. Now I've been fortunate to, a lot of people were not as fortunate as me living the life I've lived. I mean, fortunate means I'm not in prison for life. And I'm still above ground. I just got lucky. And sometimes it's not luck. It was God watching out for me saying, I have a purpose for you, dummy. And you're still here today because of it. Now do something with it. I just got to collect it and pinpoint it, what it is. I'm supposed to be doing what my purpose is, but it's not to hurt people anymore.
0: So that's Kenny. Kenny. As I sat and listened to him tell that story, I was thinking, we can make a miniseries out of Kenny's life. We could do Kenny the early years and then the teenage years. And he had so many points to his story that we couldn't include in the video because it would have just been too long, but he really is a story of a comeback. And the day after we filmed that, I drove away from his apartment thinking, God, thank you. Thank you for reminding me that no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, no matter how many times we've messed up, no matter how many mistakes we've made, you are always ready to give us a comeback. Every time we think it's over, you stand there saying, well, it's not over. I've got more for you. Kenny also talked about the pull sometimes of his old life. The way sometimes people that he used to interact with, he'll he'll get a call from them and they'll try to pull him back and he says no. But that's a big temptation. When you experience that that big comeback, that big start again, that second chance, sometimes it's easy to get pulled back. So Jesus' disciples, once Jesus died, was buried and was resurrected, they met him. He, He appeared to them. And they didn't see it as, yes, everything he said, now we can start what you said we were supposed to start. They didn't quite understand what they saw. And even though he appeared to them, he spoke to them, he, he literally like just appeared and they were confused by it. And then when he left them again, all the doubt started to come back and they kind of lost their way. And over a few days, they decided, well, let's just go back to the way life was before we ever met Jesus. And guess who spoke up first? Peter. Peter said, I'm going fishing. The rest of them said, well, we'll come too. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. So, they made a decision. We're just going to go back to what we knew. We failed. This didn't work out the way we thought. So, they just slipped back into what they were doing before. And that's a big temptation for us. That when things don't go the way we think they should go, when we make a mistake, instead of claiming what Christ can do for us through every mistake that we make, we tend to slip back to what life was like before. And people pick up the bottle again and think, well, at least when I drink, I have a temporary relief from what I'm going through. Or they take the pills again because maybe that's the only time you feel relief from the pain. Or you slip back into old habits that got you where you never wanted to be. Or you go back to an old set of friends that are not the best influence on you. That's what they had done. They had just gone back to what they knew. And here in this boat were people who had been given the insight on what it would take to change the world by Jesus himself. And they just said, well, let's go fishing. Because they thought it was over. While they're in their boat, catching no fish, they look on the shore and they see somebody. It's Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus yet. And they hear this person on the shore say something. They don't recognize him. It might be because it's not fully sunlight yet. Maybe it's because Jesus had not revealed himself to them or they couldn't even imagine that Jesus would be standing there. But for whatever the reason, they didn't recognize him and he yells something out to them. He says, have you caught anything yet? And they reply with, No, we have not. A better way to translate what Jesus said is, How is the fishing working out for you? (laughs) And they're thinking, It's not good. Maybe that's what Jesus is saying to you. How's that old life working out for you? How's going back to what you used to be and you know you're better than? How's that working out for you? How's that going? And so they listen. So they're thinking, okay, well, this guy has something to tell us. Jesus yells this out. Throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. Now, these are experienced fishermen. They know what they're doing. This is what they did for a living. So they knew how to catch fish. And the difference between one side of the boat and the other side of the boat, at the most, would have been 10 or 12 feet. So they have to be thinking, All right, this is crazy. How's this going to work? We've been here all night. There's no fish here. There's definitely no fish right there. It's just a few feet. But they're desperate. And so they do what he said. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. The fish were right there. Just a few feet away from where they were failing. Everybody in this room, you're looking for something. I you, you mean, you came today for some reason, maybe just because mama said, go to church on Easter, but there's a reason that you're here, that you want relief from something. You want some answers. You want to know how to apply all this stuff to your life. You want to see things better or different in your life. Maybe the answer is right in front of you. Maybe it's just a few feet away. Because what Jesus would say is, are you looking for acceptance? Are you looking for a second chance? Are you looking to fill the void that's in your life? Are you looking to be healthier physically and emotionally and spiritually? Are you looking for that? I know where you can find it. It's right in front of you. And you might think it's over, but the change that you need, the comeback that you can have is just right beside you. It's just one step away, just like those fish were just on the other side of the boat. It just requires you to take a step. It just requires you to change the way you think. And for many of you, you're so close, so close to starting over, so close to living up to the potential that God created you for. Well, it's not long after they haul in all of these fish One of them realizes, wait a minute, those fish were not there a moment ago. I only know one person that could make that happen. And it says this, Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Now, don't miss this part of what this means. This is not just Jesus wanting to have breakfast for them. I mean, he'd already caught some fish, so he could have bragged about that. You know, he's like, I already got fish. You know, you've been fishing all night. But Jesus reveals to us in this one episode how he treats people who have failed. He reveals to us how he interacts with people who have made a huge mistake, and there's a beautiful section of scripture right here when you look at the overall context and it will give you confidence if you're dealing with guilt right now. So Jesus is by this charcoal fire. And he could have brought Peter to that fire and, and really just let him have it. This word for charcoal fire in this verse only appears one other time in the New Testament. The New Testament was originally written in Greek and then translated into all the different languages. In the original language, this word for charcoal fire only appears in two places. One is here by the lake and the other is in the courtyard where Peter was standing around this fire when he denied Jesus. So why would Jesus do that? Why would it be the same word and it only appear there? Is Jesus trying to bring him to that fire and point at it and say, hey, you remember this, buddy? You remember last time you were standing around a fire like this? Why'd you deny me? Why'd you make that mistake? Why did you boldly say you never would, but you did? Why did you throw out curses when you said you didn't know me? That's not what Jesus did. I think Jesus brought him to this place, this fire that's just like perfectly described the same way the other fire was so he could help remove the guilt Peter must have been living with. Because the last thing Jesus would have wanted for Peter is every time the rest of his life he gathers around a fire. That's all he can think about is the big mistake that he made. See, Jesus wasn't looking at Peter's past. Jesus was looking at his future. He was looking at his potential. And Jesus doesn't focus on your past, so why should you? He doesn't look at you and say, I can't believe what they did. I can't believe how they messed their life up. That's not what he looks at. He looks at the opportunity you have to have a second chance, to make a comeback. And he sees your potential. And so Jesus asks Peter, let's go for a walk. Come with me. And here's what happened. After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Now, when he said, Do you love me more than these? Maybe Jesus was pointing down to this huge catch of fish, saying, Do you love me more than you love that old life? Do you love me more than what you do for your livelihood? Do you love me more than this pile of fish that could get you a lot of money? Do you love me more than these? And Peter said, yes, I do. And Jesus said, well, then I got something for you. I need you to feed my sheep. And what Jesus is saying is, I need you to tell people about me. I need you to guard my kids. I need you to build my church. I need you to lead. I need you to grow. I need you to make a difference. Jesus is saying, Peter, I don't care about where you've been. I care about where you're headed. And Jesus is saying to you, your comeback is not based on your performance. It's not even based on how you feel. Your comeback is based on his grace. His grace that doesn't see your past, but sees your potential and what you can be. And for some of you, your comeback is so close. And Jesus says, just do what I say. Believe that I believe in you. See, he believes that we're all primed for a comeback, no matter what mistake we've made. That's how we can celebrate the resurrection. Just a couple of months after this episode, when Jesus said, feed my sheep, Peter stood up in Jerusalem in front of thousands of people, and he preached what is recorded in the book of Acts In chapter 2, when he preaches the first sermon that reveals the resurrected Christ to the world. And with conviction, he stands up and says who Jesus was and what he could do and how he could forgive them. And when he got to the end of that, 3,000 people said, What do we need to do? And he told them how to change their life and accept this message of a resurrected Christ. Why celebrate the resurrection if you're not going to claim all of the benefits that come from it? Why celebrate the resurrection if you're not going to claim the comeback that he has for each of us? Why celebrate the resurrection and then live like it's really over for you when it's not? So today, you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity for... Easter 2016 to be different than any Easter before. It can be the year that's defined and never forgotten by the year you finally took a step and you said, I will not be defined by my past. Now, for some of you, you already know Christ and you've made mistakes and and you've forgotten the love that he has for you and and you've already made that decision. You've already followed him in baptism and, and you just stand there, but you still feel guilty. You need to decide right now that you're gonna claim your comeback. And you're not going to live in that guilt anymore because he doesn't see that. He sees the potential he created you to live in. And for some of you, you've never taken that step. And this morning we've had 20 some people say, I want to take that step. And they followed Christ in baptism. And you've got that opportunity right now. Some people are already gone. They've already gone back there to get ready. But as we sing this song and you see these people who are saying, I want to be identified with the resurrection of Christ. That gives me another chance. That says it's not over. Then throw your Hail Mary and let your life be changed by the resurrected Christ. Just go back to that door right over there. One of our pastors are back there. He will talk to you and guide you through that decision to accept Christ to follow him in baptism, wherever you are on that journey, go talk to them about it and they'll guide you through it. And Easter 2016 can be the year that you'll always remember of your comeback. Let's pray. God, thank you for the resurrection of Christ that gives us this opportunity, the opportunity to have a comeback. And God, I pray for the people right now that came here with no idea that they were going to take a big step. But you've prompted them as I spoke and as the band played. And you spoke to them and said, now is your day. It's time to take that step. Give them the courage to do that. And I pray this in Jesus' name.